I'm Kim Singletary. And I'm Rich Collins with Biz New Orleans Magazine. Welcome to Biz Talks. Each week, we reach beyond the pages of Biz New Orleans Magazine to bring you in-depth conversations with members of the business community. From the names everyone knows to the ones destined to make their mark, we'll dive into the top issues, best practices, successes, and failures of every industry that calls Southeast Louisiana home. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Today's guest is Natalie Jero, president and CEO of Second Harvest Food Bank, which provides food access, advocacy, education, and disaster response to 700-plus community partners and programs across 23 parishes. The nonprofit has completed a $15 million capital campaign and is renovating its Elmwood headquarters. After navigating the twin challenges of the pandemic and several busy storm seasons, Natalie Jero, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. All right, first off, for those who don't know, what does Second Harvest do? (laughs) (laughs) So you captured it perfectly. Uh, We lead the fight against hunger in 23 parishes of South Louisiana from the Mississippi to the Texas borders. Um, We provide more than 50 million meals every year to our neighbors in need. Um, As you mentioned, we work through 700 partners, and that's everyone from churches to community-based organizations, nonprofit schools, hospitals, healthcare organizations. Uh, Anyone that uses food is part of their mission. And we're serving more than 300,000 South Louisianans every year. But we always feel a sense of urgency because we know there are probably another 100,000 people that are at risk for hunger every single day. How far north do you go if you're looking at the state? So we're all in South Louisiana with the exception of the 11 parishes around Baton Rouge. We have a colleague, the Greater Baton Rouge Food Bank, that serves that area. Okay, so can you give a quick history of this organization and the founders. I think there's a couple of interesting founders involved. Oh, absolutely. We are 40 years old this year. Uh, We were founded by Archbishop Hannon, Bishop Morin, Ben Johnson, Sister Anthony, and faith and community leaders from all over the greater New Orleans area. So Rabbi Cohn was involved. It was really a remarkable experience or a remarkable experiment that Archbishop Hannon asked for Feeding America, the national organization, to come in, asked his other faith leaders in the community to join him in in setting up this organization dedicated to fighting hunger. So it was early 80s, 82, and Archbishop Hannon and a group of interfaith leaders had this idea to launch this. Absolutely. Can you explain what it means to be food insecure uh, versus food insufficient? Just talk about the the people that you're serving, the population. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, Thanks for asking the question. So being food insecure means you're not sure where your next meal is coming from. So after you provide for yourself and your family and you take care of uh, or take advantage of the federal benefits, maybe you have children in school that are getting free and reduced breakfast and lunch, you're still missing meals, either for yourself or your family during the course of the the month and the year. So that's that's what we call hunger in the United States. It's really a question of nutrition. Now, I'm sure I can guess the answer, but how does Louisiana compare with with the rest of the country in in these metrics? Yeah, unfortunately, um, we're at the top of a lot of the list when it comes to food insecurity, um, both for all of our citizens, but uh, even more critically for our seniors and for our children. All the more reason for you to be doing what you're doing. So talk to me about this capital campaign and the renovation, how they're related, what's been going on for the last three years, and the listeners may not 
be able to tell, but I'm looking out over this warehouse where there's all sorts of action. And I walked in through a, a, a renovation zone with all sorts of fresh paint. What's, what's going on out here? So we are so excited. Uh, when I got here right after Katrina and Rita, we were in a 30,000 square foot building. Okay. We used to call it operating a super Walmart out of a 7-Eleven. It really was a safety <laughs> where, where issue. Was it? Where was it? And Sam's Avenue. So it was really close yeah. to uh, this facility. Yes. After Katrina and Rita, we had become the largest food bank the world had ever seen, distributing more food. So that was quite interesting out of such a small facility. We moved into this facility in 2010, okay. and this is a 200,000 square foot facility. What was this before? This was uh, international refrigeration okay. uh, owned by the Bridgewaters, and, and actually we had some offsite storage here, and FEMA had taken over this warehouse after Hurricanes Katrina and Rita, and we were running it for them before we purchased the facility. So I didn't explain, but we, so we're currently at your offices here on Edwards Avenue. Absolutely, yeah, which is the hub. We've got a we've got a spoke out in Lafayette. Okay. We've just got another one. We just closed on a warehouse in Lake Charles, and we're working in the Homa Thibodeau area. All right. And so this capital campaign, what was the what was the reason? Why now? And what was the impetus to get that? funds together and to do this renovation. So the first thing we did was build a kitchen back in 2010 because so much institutional kitchen capacity had been destroyed. But right, we had this right. larger dream of turning this into a facility that could do 100 million meals okay. with a hub and spoke kind of program. So it was not just money, it's literally space. Like you need more space to get it space. done. Space, we needed air condition. We needed a new roof on the facility. We needed more space to hold volunteers. Um, we need another line in our kitchen for local farmers to right. come in and do some value added processing. Right. So there were a lot of elements we needed showers because we become a dormitory in a worst case scenario when we are in disaster oh, response. Oh, of course. So 15 of our own staff members had serious damage to their homes after Hurricane Ida, but they were here at work the next day. Many of them were sleeping in their offices or we got an RV and we had that, you know, stationed right here at our hub. So now we're so thrilled and, and people are always shocked when I tell them, and I'm so happy about these bathrooms <laughs> because they have showers in them right. and it just, it really allows us to turn this into a dormitory in a worst case scenario. So this can be a, a base of operations during a disaster. And absolutely. It always it has been a base of operations, but now I feel like we can put people up in a fair amount of comfort if we need to. I'm looking at you here in your office with the glass windows overlooking a giant warehouse what happens here on a day-to-day -day basis so, not in disaster yeah absolutely so the principle behind food banks is that americans throw away 40 percent of everything we grow manufacture process and pre prepare across the country and food banks grew up as this kind of intermediary to get this incredible abundance of nutritious food into the hands of people that can use it but in order to do that you had to have a warehouse right. and you had to be able to accept truckloads of food and as time went on as we started thinking about having good nutritious food we needed bigger freezers and coolers so now in this facility we have 40,000 square feet of freezers and coolers and that's absolutely critical to making sure we get the most nutritious food out to people who need it does that mean that in the past maybe you'd have to stick to certain types of non-perishables and now you have more types of food maybe more nutritious food that you can absolutely 40 years ago we were taking all the manufacturing overruns so we had crackers cookies cereals cans anything that was non-perishable uh, over time we realized that as we discussed earlier hunger is about good nutrition and we really needed to focus on that produce that um, protein the cheese the bread the milk the things that really people really need now you've been you've been leading organizations like this 
for a number of years. Mm, 30 years <laughs> or so. <laughs> <laughs> Roughly three decades. And uh, I imagine you, it, uh, the landscape now is different than it was when you started. Can you talk about that? And can you talk, is it more hopeful? Do you feel more hopeful or do you feel more worried as, as, you, as you look at the need that's out there now? You know, that's a great question. Um, when I started as a food banker, uh, we were all generalists, you know, so we didn't have a lot of specific knowledge. We just knew there was this food that was going to waste and we wanted to help. Our board members were literally putting food in the trunks of their cars and driving it off to people that needed it. Over time, we've gotten bigger, smarter. We've used these business principles. You know, 75% of everything that we distribute comes from the private sector. Okay. And I really consider that a bonus because we're very entrepreneurial. It also means we have to be really quick on our feet. And as the food industry changes, we have to change as well. And we have to think about, you know, our business model. It makes us very customer service oriented, uh, the same way a lot of the retailers and other vendors that are giving us food are. So. I really like that part of food banking. So I believe there is a place for organizations like Second Harvest, um, nonprofit organizations. I, you know, a lot of my colleagues will say we're working to put ourselves out of business. I, that really drives me nuts. Right. I am not working to put myself out of business. Right. I'm working to make a difference in the lives of people. I hope hunger looks different tomorrow, but if it does, then I'll take this facility and we'll make it do something else that helps people in South Louisiana, something the for-profit community doesn't want to do because there's no profit motive in it. So an example of that is the line that we built in our kitchen. We want to help local farmers become more sustainable. So if they can come into our kitchen, process their food, do what we call value-added processing, then they can sell it on the retail market for a higher price. Then they become more sustainable. And we'd love to have more of our farmers right here in South Louisiana growing produce and that kind of food that you normally get at a farmer's market. But I have to tell you, for those farmers right now, it is very difficult to make a living. So if we can use our capacity to help them, right. um, then I feel like we're making the community stronger. And of course, you've got disaster response. And that's uh, something really important to Second Harvest in South Louisiana. As we know, we, we have these kind of disruptions fairly frequently. And we want to make sure we're part of the resilience of the community. So I always feel like I, I'm hoping Second Harvest is a hopeful sign to the community that this facility is here to help. And if the community comes and says, I need you to do something different today uh, with your capacity, then I hope we're going to flex and make that happen. Right. So in other words, a, a, a robust second harvest doesn't mean uh, there's a crisis necessarily. It means that, that, that the community always is going to need some help and you're here to help it in whatever way you can. We're doing the best we can to take whatever resources we have and have an impact in people's lives. Well, when you talk about the farmers, that shows a different approach and it's different than what everyone's going to think that you do primarily which is collect and distribute food to those who need it well absolutely and it's a, a it's the reason why we love working with schools um, because if we can be part of an initiative that helps a school a child come to school ready to learn as we work with senior centers so that we can stretch their dollars further and give them more nutritious food. So we work with hospitals. Uh, we really love programs. We, we've got a program with uh, UMC, for instance, where we do a pantry in their oncology department. And we have gotten some anecdotal and some actually quantifiable data about the difference it makes to a cancer patient who goes home after a treatment with a box of, of food that's appropriate for helping them get better. 
not only do they have this food that's appropriate and healthy for them, but they don't have the stress and worry about how they're going to get back in the car or public transportation and figure out a way to access food. So whenever we can be part of those holistic solutions, right. that's thrilling for us. Right. Now, t tell me about this capital campaign a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, what's involved, and I assume it's a big part oh of your job gosh. as a rainmaker to create that goal and then to meet that goal. Oh, totally. <laughs> a huge thank you to this community. Um, as we mentioned, we built a kitchen and then we took a few years off because we had a few things happening here in South Louisiana. <laughs> yes. We were responding. Finally, we decided we, we couldn't hold off any longer. We right. needed to make this facility right. in order to reach our 10-year right. goals of doubling. Um, and thank God the community, the community stepped up um, and committed dollars to us uh, as we went into the coronavirus situation and the four hurricanes that we were responding to at the same time. So I wish I could take credit, um, but I really can't. I have a wonderful development team and some wonderful volunteer leaders that were willing to go and talk to people, uh, even though we were in the midst of this crisis and we were able to make $15 million work. And it was, what's important about that, I think, is that when people donate money to us, it goes directly to feeding people. We ask people specifically, help us make this facility facility better right. you know so that they so people know and they can feel trust that they know exactly where their dollars are going right. the food that i'm looking out at right now is that usually someone donates food to you or is it that someone gives you money that you can go buy food with a little bit of both um, but the vast majority of it's donated really so normally about 25 percent will come from the government okay and that's because of new deal programs uh, that were started where usda actually purchased government produce or, or farmers produce in order to keep market prices just like um, government stable. cheese and that sort of thing government cheese <laughs> okay so that food would normally go to the school first and then secondly it would come to the emergency feeding assistance program which is us okay. so that's about 25 percent okay. that percentage went up a little bit with coronavirus which we are very thankful for because in normal times 75 percent of our food are coming from private sources so the walmarts of south louisiana will give us more than 10 million pounds of food every single year from the 42 stores that they have across south louisiana our trucks show up on their dock and they pick up meat produce, dairy, I mean, incredible food that's still consumable, but no longer marketable. Maybe the packaging is crushed or it's getting close to expiration and it needs to go out fast. So that's the kind of food that we get. Or Zatarans will call us and they've mixed a batch of product and the color's not exactly right, but it's still edible. Or there's a sweet potato season here in South Louisiana that's really been incredible and farmers have a lot of odd shaped sweet potatoes they can't sell to okay. the retail market. Um, so it's that kind of ongoing donations from the private sector that is the vast majority of the food you see out in that warehouse. Okay, so that's all about just maintaining relationships with all of these sources. Absolutely, and often it's the ability to accept a truckload. When we had Chiquita out in our port, you know, that's, that's a great example because those bananas would come in, they'd all have to leave the warehouse within the next week to get to the retail market because the next boat was going to come in right. with some more. Um, if they didn't sell them, they would have to waste them, and they would often have to pay for that. So we were even financially, it made good sense right. for or Chiquita to work with a food bank, donate that product, and bananas are an incredible source of nutrition. Right. Now, I guess you, like anyone dealing with food, you're going to have your own food waste issues where there's something you can't get 
distributed in time and that kind of thing? Though we, we work really hard, we have to be within 2% accuracy in our inventory control. That's one thing about being uh, part of Feeding America. That's oh, the kind right. of a good housekeeping seal of approval. And what they require us to do is have a very accurate inventory control system. We also abide by all the same recall um, standards that any major food distributor. You um, are doing your work in a southern coastal state. When you're talking to your colleagues at national events, do you feel like you've got an extra set of challenges because of all the potential extreme weather events that could come in and, and disrupt things? So perhaps an extra set of challenges, though I think that COVID actually uh, leveled that playing field for the entire country. I would say we had a much stronger sense of how to respond to disasters than many food banks did. Um, I, I think that's probably changed a little bit because of COVID. But I also have to say we have a higher level probably of community support and acceptance as a result of our facing these challenges together as a community. Um, I think South Louisianans really understand how important it is for us to take care of each other. Right. We've been through it enough times and we all know how close we are to needing help. We've seen our lives disrupted so many times. So yes, maybe an extra set of challenges, but the other thing too is that when you have those challenges, you develop ways of thinking and ways of moving that I think makes our team really flexible, fast, and good at what they do. Um, we're often called upon by other food banks around the country. We're, we're waiting to see if Tampa needs us, for instance, with this new hurricane in the Gulf. And by the same token, other food banks will come to help us. But we have a lot of expertise about how to manage in a situation of disruption, So, which, which often is what we call a plan to plan. Get together, talk about what's actually happening, be prepared to change based on conditions on the ground, at any moment. It is a good point that we're good at disasters. We are. We are. And I'll tell you, with the pandemic, we started thinking about pandemics with the state right after Katrina, which I think no other part of the country actually did because we were so, we had been so shocked by this incredible disruption that had taken place. The state was really thinking ahead of that. And so we have a, a contract with the state that we actually store vaccines in case of a pandemic here in the facility as part of that distribution system to very vulnerable people. So for people that want to get involved, might want to come out and help, yeah. What are the ways to do uh, that? So first, I have to say a huge thank you to volunteers. They're the equivalent of 50 full-time staff members for us every single wow. year. Wow. Um, we could not do any of this without volunteers. Best way is to go onto our website at no-hunger.org. You can actually sign up to volunteer on the website. Of course, we take donations, and the community helps us with food drives all the time. And while um, it may not be the millions and millions of pounds that Walmart sends, a lot of times if we get a truckload of peanut butter from a school, that's incredibly good food because it's extremely nutritious. So those food drives are important as well. And that's just if a school sends out messages to the families and say, exactly. hey, please bring us these types of items. The school collects it, brings it to they you. They do. Yeah. And, and we get a lot of support that way. And we're very, very thankful. Now, the people that when you sign up to volunteer, is that coming to work in the warehouse? What kind of things is it? Sometimes. Sometimes it's helping us sort food in the warehouse, throw out what's no longer consumable and sort everything into categories for our partner agencies. Sometimes it's helping to cook in our 6,500 square foot community kitchen. Oh, wow. So if you were to go in there right now, there are about six staff members and everyone else are about 25 volunteers in there right now plating food for children. Even on seniors. a random weekday like this. Okay, interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Well, how young, how old do you have to be to volunteer? Is there an age? Uh, I think we like 13, okay. um, though there are some activities. Uh, coming up, for instance, we'll be gleaning orange um, orchards and uh, satsumas and things like that down in St. Bernard and Plaquemines Parish, and that's a great family activity. So there are some things that young children can do with us. Here in the warehouse, 13 is the age that we think about, yeah. um, really, because we've got heavy equipment. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Moving you don't around. want a 10-year-old driving the forklift. No, no, no. Okay. Um, all right, so let me just ask you a couple more things. Um, first of all, tell me about the next 10 years. Where do you see Second Harvest going over the next decade and just the need here in our community? So uh, this is really, really thrilling to be celebrating our 40th anniversary by kind of finishing our work here on our hub. We just closed on a warehouse in Lake Charles. Oh. We've been renting a, a warehouse in Lafayette, but we need to do some serious improvements there. Right. And we've been working with the diocese down in uh, uh, Homa Thibodeau to renovate a facility down there. As you know, both Lake Charles and Homa Thibodeau areas have a long way to go in recovering from um, you know, natural disasters that have come. So we know that the hub and spoke program is essential to our reaching our goal of doubling our distribution over the next 10 years. Um, so we want to make sure now that every community that we're in across South Louisiana um, thinks of us as the home of Thibodeau um, second harvest, Lake Charles second harvest, Lafayette second harvest. Um, and so our next 10 years will be devoted to making all of that happen and providing the same kind of help, whether you're in Evangeline Parish or St. Landry Parish or Vermilion Parish, as if you're in Orleans or the North Shore or Homa Thibodeau. Do you have a fleet of trucks? We do. We have about 35 of wow. those trucks. You have a fleet. Uh, yes, we do. Uh, though I have to tell you, right now, I think seven of them are in the shop oh, because we can't get um, them fixed. It's hard to find parts. Right. It takes more than a year now um, you're uh, on, to buy a new facility. So, you know, I mentioned to you how flexible we are and as business conditions change. So right now, uh, the logistics is one of those things that we're really dealing with. How do we get the same amount or more food out with a fleet where we cannot get our trucks repaired and we cannot buy new vehicles? Just waiting on parts or just getting in line to try and get both. a new vehicle? Yes, wow. Both. Yes, both. Um, okay, so reflecting on your career here, what, just, what would you say is your biggest accomplishment? What are you most proud of so far? I think I'm most proud of the idea that I've made this place, or I hope I've made this place, as open to making the biggest possible impact as it possibly can to being as welcoming to volunteers, uh, to people who donate funds, to people who donate food, uh, to the people that we serve, listening to them, and to be the best possible organization we can be, to actually maximize the effect that we can have for people, um, to give them the chance to fulfill their best lives. Right. That's what I'm proudest of. If, if, if the community feels like we've done a good job, um, then... I'm very, I feel very privileged to have been able to do this. Well, it's an impressive accomplishment, and thank you for all the work you've done for us. Thank you. Uh, last question. New Orleans has a, a lot of obvious problems right now and also mm -hmm. a lot of obvious charms, and I, I like to ask everyone at the end of these conversations, as you look at the city and, and you're, from your lens, what makes you feel worried still? What worries you? And then what makes you optimistic about our, about our future? Wow. Um, so the... The question you asked me a moment ago, if you looked at it in very pragmatic terms, we've been able to quadruple 
our distribution. We've increased the amount of money we've brought in. We've got programs all over South Louisiana. Those things weren't happening uh, prior to Hurricanes Katrina and Rita. So we've had a very eventful uh, decade and a half. This community makes that possible. So, you know, I... I am a fair newcomer. I came right after Katrina and Rita, immediately fell in love with this community, and this community has taught me what that love looks like. Right. And that's being able to acknowledge that all these problems are absolutely true. We have chronic poverty. Um, we have major issues. We have chronic food insecurity. Our seniors uh, need a lot more help. Our children need a lot more help. Uh, we all know how we feel about our education system, our justice system. Um, but on the other hand, things can change. I remember when I first came here and I interviewed for the job, the board said, um, these are wonderful ideas you have, but change is difficult. Well, I've actually found that we can change here in South Louisiana and make incredible progress. And I think that the generosity of the people of the southern part of the state of Louisiana is what's made that happen. So while we have a lot of challenges, <laughs> I also think we have a lot of love for each other and a lot of care for our community, um, and people are willing to work to make this community succeed. And the most creative, smart people I've ever met in my life. Well, Natalie J. Rowe, it's been a, a period of growth and a lot of accomplishments here at Second Harvest. Congratulations on all the success, and thank you for being a guest on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Love being here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Biz Talks. If you like what you hear each week, don't forget to rate us and leave a comment wherever you listen to your podcasts. And follow us on social media at Biz New Orleans. For more information or to contact us, please visit bizneworleans.com slash biztalks.